Boag World is brought to you by headscape.co.uk in association with getsignoff.com and the website owner's manual. In this week's show, we give you advice on choosing the right hosting company. Tefion and John send us a review of Deconstruct, and of course, we discuss the release of Google Chrome. Can it topple IE? Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul and Marcus. Hello, and welcome to the first ever BoagWorld.com podcast. Boag World. Hello, and welcome to the 100th episode of to the 134th episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul Boag. And my name is Crackly Marcus. I'm dreading this episode. <laughs> for those of you that haven't yet realised by the... that already will no doubt be appearing, we are doing this week's show via Skype. And we all yeah. know that works so well, doesn't it? It's usually the half second delay. That's yeah. the one. When I get you halfway through a sentence, or it's, that's how you, you see it, hear it, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, it's all very stilted and uh, disjointed. Yes, it is. No, I did that. I did that pause on purpose, honestly. Yeah, but we are going to battle through. The reason we're doing this week's show this horrible, horrible way that I absolutely hate doing. Because it's not just annoying for everybody listening. It, 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 the connection drops halfway through. Skype's crap, basically, for anything like this. But unless you've got a T1 connection like Leo Laporte does on Twit, all of the people that are on the show have, like, massive connections, and it's, he's got a really posh setup. But even then, he has troubles. Um, yeah, so it's not only rubbish for, for us recording it, uh, for those listening, but also for us recording it because connection drops halfway through and you have to start again, all that kind of stuff. But enough bitching and moaning. The reason we're doing it is because my little son is ill. Oh. Oh, yeah. There, so- are, there are advantages to recording this on Skype, though. What's that? I, I don't have to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> ah, joy. Well, we could turn the webcams on if you really want to hammer the bandwidth and ensure no, that it breaks I, up. I, I will. Uh, are no. you even Although dressed? I, I am dressed. Oh, yes, well, there so, you go. Plus, are you? Yes, I am. Of course I am. I've been up since like six. Yeah, fair enough. I've been up since seven. Oh. Yeah, it's but you to... weren't up in the night as well, I bet. Or do, have <laughs> you reached that age where you have to get up in the night to go loo? <laughs> Well, funny you should say that, but actually, it's very rare, but last night I did, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. More information than people really want here on Boag World. I've got some sort of vaguely computer-related stuff to talk about. Oh, go on then. I've got my Mac running Windows and and OS X successfully. No, you're running with VMware, is that right? Yeah, and it, it works fantastically well. So I can – basically, I've had loads of issues with uh, sharing Word documents and Entourage being crap compared to Outlook. Um, I decided to go back to it, and, and I thought, well, I'll try it with VMware, and it works fantastically. I can – there's a – VMware has this thing called Unity where I can basically have Windows uh, Windows 
programs running as win- as as Windows within within OS X, and it's just they're just like other applications within within the Mac. You're you're dangerously close now to actually just pimping the Mac now and becoming an Apple fanboy like me. Well, I don't think you could do this on on a standard PC. I don't no. think they'd be grunty enough to be able to cope with it. But this one is. It doesn't. It's not slow at all. It just bat, yeah. bat between the different applications. Although it, I did turn it all off for using for recording this particular podcast. And you are running a MacBook Pro with four gigabytes worth of memory. Sadly, only three. Oh. Yeah, well, it's got. I thought it had a two gig card in the back of it and a spare slot, but it didn't. It had two two one gig cards, so I had to pull one out and uh, slammed in the two gigabyte one I bought. Oh well. So I've got a spare one gig one. If it's any use to you, Paul. Um, no, I think I'm I'm full up, and my little MacBook doesn't really manage to run uh, VMware that well. I have to say, it does it, but it's just not. It's a bit more chuggy than I think your experience is. But anyway. This, I am, I'm having my cake and eating it uh, and, and various other cliches I can't think of off the top of my cool. head. And it's now really you've good. got an iPhone 2. You really are completely macified. Yeah, all that, all that, much as I like it as a, a thing to play with, um, it's, I miss having 3G. Oh, uh, yeah, I, but that's because you've got the old, you've got my, cast, my hand-me-downs, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've got the good laptop, you've got the good phone. Yeah. Who's got the better? Um, no, yeah. but uh, seriously, I, I had, the, the trio I had was 3G, so I could pick up email anywhere. Mm. Um, and now suddenly I have to be, you know, within a, within a Wi-Fi spot. But that's okay. I'll live with it. Well, I'm kind of hoping that today, because it's the 9th of September we're recording this, I'm hoping that later on today... Um, the um, Apple is going to announce a new set of MacBooks that I'm then going to go and buy when I when I'm out in the states in November. So there you go. Anyway, people are going to be really fuming by this point because we've spent far too long talking about Macs, and people get <laughs> I get hate mail whenever I do that. So they're should, so expensive. Yeah. Yes. Shall we? Shall we hurtle on now into the news? Yeah. Do it. Although I have to say, you've now just alienated all the Mac fanboys as well by saying they're expensive. But let's move on quickly. <laughs> okay, so um, we look at the news. And last week in the news... Paul, 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 I've thought of another advantage to doing it like this. What's the other advantage? I could play the guitar. Why couldn't you play the guitar when we're in together? Because I don't have it with me. And the sound would be a lot better quality than it's going to be over <laughs> Skype. <laughs> I'm not going to play any more guitar. Thank you. Maybe I will. Carry on. You can play guitar instead of say a joke at the end. Um, <laughs> no, I've got a joke actually, and it's it's a short and sweet one that I quite like. Oh, there we go. Well, perhaps you could play guitar while you tell the joke. I don't care. <laughs> I just I don't. I put care. it down. I put it down. Okay. I'll st- stop annoying you. So in last week's show, the timing sucked, didn't it? Because we talked about Google's new browser, Chrome. At the very moment, well, we, we recorded it like 10 minutes before they actually launched the browser, which was very annoying. So we didn't really get to cover it properly. So I thought, right, let's go for it. Let's cover it this week. Um, so, I, I mean, without a doubt, the biggest story of the week is, is Google launching their own browser called Chrome. Um, and at the moment, um, it's only available under Windows, although a Mac and a Linux version will be following shortly, which is good news for Marcus, well, actually, no, I suppose I've already you don't got care. it. Yeah, you've I've already got it because you're VMing all the whole time. Yes, it's my uh, it's my Windows first choice browser now. Ooh, so what do you think about? Obviously, good things. It's just fast, which is, seems to be the only difference, really. 
but it's quicker than IE. So yeah, which is I'll, why I'll it wouldn't take that. a lot to be quicker than IE. <laughs> a badger carrying a small house would be quicker than IE. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I apologise. I don't know. I quite liked it though. Um, the launch of Chrome um, has generated a huge amount of publicity, um, and I'm sure, to be honest, everybody listening to this a week on is already aware of basically its advantages, as Marcus says, you know, speed, stability, support for web applications, that kind of stuff. Um, you probably uh, know as well that it's built on WebKit, which is the the same engine that sits under uh, Safari. So you can pretty much guarantee CSS support is going to be good, although I'm getting a few reports in that there are some, you know, tiny little differences that are a bit irritating. Some good stuff on the forum about it if you want to check that out. Um, so I guess the question is, um, should we start testing our sites in Chrome? Um, yeah, because obviously that's your immediate reaction is, oh, flipping heck, another browser to support. And I have to say, so far, the figures have been rising at a fairly rapid rate. Um, uh, I've seen figures of 1% shown. I've seen figures of 6%. And that somebody emailed me claiming that they were seeing figures of 10%. Uh, which seems a bit high to me. Um, but, you know, it's it's apparent that Chrome is becoming a fairly strong force. But is it going to be strong enough over the long term to um, overcome the dominance of Internet Explorer? Or is it just going to cannibalize the market share of IE's rivals, you know, Opera, Firefox, mm. you know, Safari, etc.? And that's a question that's a little bit harder to judge. Um, so, yes, I think we are going to have to test in it. But... How how big a browser are we are we talking about here? Um, I have to say, I think the, the browser that's going to finally topple IE, because I think eventually there will be a browser that does that. Because let's face it, to start with, Netscape seemed totally dominant, and IE came along and managed to topple it. I see no reason why another browser couldn't come along and do the same thing. Um, but I think whatever browser does topple it isn't going to topple it due to the quality of browser, if that makes sense. But it'll all be about brand recognition. Um, if IE was going to fall because of its poor features or slowness or dodgy rendering, it would have done so already. The problem is that most people are quite happy using IE. It comes pre-installed on their machine and is just kind of ready to go. Indeed, um, many simply associate the web with that tiny little blue icon, blue E. Mm. Um, Sure, other browsers have made remarkable inroads into, market, uh, into IE's market share. However, they probably, I think, pushed it as far as they can go. The rest of the market is made up of people who just don't care. They use whatever browser is kind of given to them. They know IE. They're familiar with IE, so why bother changing? So, um, But if anybody is capable of uh, changing that status quo and really coming in um, and blowing things apart, I think it is probably Google. Um, although many associate the IE icon with the internet, when they click on that icon, it's the Google homepage they bring up. Um, Google has a very dominant brand, maybe even more so than Microsoft in some ways. Um, and if anybody can uh, pursue the holdouts to sw uh, swapping, it's going to be Google. Google's got an enormous profile. And I have to say, I have never seen a browser featured on BBC, featured on BBC National News but um, when I wrote uh, this news story, that very day they mentioned Chrome and the launch of Chrome. Uh, you know, I've, I didn't see that with Internet Explorer, but I am seeing it with Chrome. So that's quite impressive. Um, also, they've got a huge amount of eyeballs uh, constantly coming to the Google homepage. And at the moment, Chrome is featured on their very minimalistic homepage. So you can expect downloads to go through the roof. Who knows whether they'll really pull it off. Interestingly, at the moment, if you look at their marketing material, 
it is mainly somebody made this comment in the comments on my blog post. I think it was Matt made the point that their marketing material for Chrome at the moment is very heavily aimed at a techie audience. You know, they're talking about things that techies care about rather than things that, that the general public care about. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, I'm worried that um, ultimately they're just going to damage the market share of Firefox, Safari and Opera rather than actually undermining Internet Explorer. But we will see. So there you go. What do you think, Marcus? Are they going to dominate the world? No. As long as as long as IE gets packed off on uh, uh, the computers that people buy, people keep using Windows, then I can't see it changing that much. Mm, possibly. I don't know. I think it depends on how heavily Google decide to promote um, Chrome. Because you've got to remember that it's kind of Chrome is is almost being promoted as the the best way to use, you know, the Google applications. And some of those applications are very, you know, very popular. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what I, happens. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, caveat that by saying at the moment. Uh, in, in the short term, I can't see much happening. Basically, you can, so you can say that about anything. You know, that's that's you're not committing to anything. Then, yeah, I'm sitting on the fence. Yeah. Um, you you said it earlier. Um, you said that people don't care, and most the vast majority of people don't care. Mm. So unless it brings them major advantages, they're not going to bother. <laughs> no, I would agree. Okay, so next news story. So with the, with this kind of new generation of browsers that are beginning to appear, we're seeing support for embedded fonts in a more consistent way, which is really encouraging. Um, and it's time for us as web designers to start taking typography seriously, something I've talked about many times before. And kind of one small part of that equation is how we manage and choose fonts. Um, and I have to confess that I've put little thought into font management. It doesn't sound very exciting, does it really? Um, and the result is that my cho- choice of font is often not really very thought through. Um, and when you're faced with a massive drop down list of fonts in Photoshop, it doesn't really inspire a considered approach to typography. Um, however, this week I've discovered a couple of things that have inspired me to put some more thought into the subject. The first is a review of 25 font management tools. Now, Marcus, who might do a review of 25 font management tool- tools? Oh, that, that would be our favourites. That I can't remember what they're called. Smashing uh, Magazine. Smashing Magazine, yes. Yes, how predictable. <laughs> um, uh, they include both free pay and paid-for software, and they also have options for both the Mac, PC, and Linux. So there's something there for everybody, and that's that's actually a very good article. I mean, you might ask, well, why do we need a font management tool at all? It sounds very melodramatic. Um, but trust me, if you start installing a lot of fonts on your system, you will soon discover why. A large number of, of fonts become unmanageable and can cause performance problems and even the most stable of apps. Um, so as a minimum, you need a way of kind of enabling and disabling certain fonts in certain applications. The second discovery I've come across is an online stroke air application um, that displays the text of your choice in every font that's available on your system. You can then go through that list of fonts and go, no, that one's no good. No, that one's no good. No, that one's no good. And basically remove fonts as you go. Um, and it basically enables you to narrow the field until you find that perfect font for you. So there's a couple of tools that hopefully will encourage you to get into typography. And the second one in particular is a great visual way of getting to the right typographic look. Final news story of the day. We're only doing three today um, because there's not much happening, has (laughs) to be said. Um, Is that something relating to jQuery? Well, vaguely anyway. 
although I'm a standards-based designer through and through, I've always felt a bit like the nerd in the class. No comments, Marcus. Thank you very much. Um, after all, it's the Flash kids that get all the girls and attract all the attention with their cool, if somewhat inaccessible, animations and special effects and stuff like that. Now, four years ago, I can't believe this is four years ago. It makes me feel really old and in- Oh, just depressing. Anyway, four years ago, David Shea attempted to smarten up our image as standards designers a little bit with CSS sprites, which was a little technique that he came up with for doing CSS-based rollovers on menu items. It wasn't as eye-catching as Flash, but it was a start, and at least I didn't feel dirty using it like I do when I use Flash. Um, So jump forward to the present day and we find a world where that cool divide between Flash people and standards people has been reduced somewhat thanks to JavaScript. So Dave has felt the need um, to bring his CSS technique up to date on the Alista part site using using a sprinkling of JavaScript um, and he uses some jQuery. Um, So what he does is basically take his plain old CSS sprite menu and give it a kind of attractive new look um, with lots of fady techniques and stuff like that. However, at the same time, he maintains its accessibility thanks to progressive enhancement. It's a slightly long-winded article, but then I can't really talk. Um, and place it, uh, But nevertheless, it kind of nicely illustrates what CSS and jQuery are capable of. And it's also a nice technique that you can use right now. And I feel like that's been a little bit lacking on a list apart recently, that a lot of their articles have been somewhat theoretical. Well, this one's a real hands-on, get-your-hands-dirty-with-some-code type of thing. So check that out as well. So there you go. That's our news for today. We seem to go through that relatively fast. So should we move on to our feature? Yep. Okay. Okay. So today's feature is an extract from the website owner's manual, which can be found at bergworld.com forward slash website owner's manual and can be bought now as part of the early access program. Um, The reason I'm doing it, I have to confess, is I've been so ludicrously, 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 thank you, busy, that I've been unable to write anything else. So I thought I'll just lift a chunk from the book because that's the lazy way of doing things. But quite an interesting um, subject and one that we haven't done before on the, the show, which is choosing a hosting company. Hosting companies are kind of a dime to a dozen, really, and they all seem to offer very similar packages um, and all have very competitive prices. So kind of how do you choose between them? So that's really what I want to look at. Um, And presuming that your site doesn't require anything particularly unusual in terms of hosting, you're going to be faced with a plethora of uh, providers to choose between. Some will be temptingly cheap in what is a very competitive marketplace. However, beware of buying on price alone. There are a number of other criteria that you should look at, and we're going to work our way through them. Number one is uptime. The last thing any website owner wants is for their website to be unavailable, and many hosting companies therefore provide uptime guarantees. You've seen it, you know, um, 95% uptime, and that you can even occasionally come across ones that say 100% uptime guaranteed. But what exactly are they guaranteeing and is this something you should worry about? Well, in most cases, in fact, pretty much in all cases, uptime guarantees are worthless. They're not actually a guarantee that your website will be available 100% of the time. That's an unrealistic and, and useless thing to promise. 
This is merely a figure that they're saying they're going to strive for, and if they fail, they'll compensate you. However, the nature of the compensation varies. In most cases, it involves refunding a portion of your money that you've paid for the hosting. However, let's face it, this could be insignificant compared to losses in sales that you may make. Um, you should always clarify exactly what the compensation... Comp- God, I can't speak today. The compens- I can't say it. Compensation is being offered. <laughs> Flip me. This is going to take a while. Um, so remember that even the largest organizations have downtime. You know, it's a problem that's never going to be entirely avoided. Websites can become unavailable uh, due to connectivity issues, poor code, or any number of other reasons beyond the control of the hosting company. As a result, they they often include um, exclusions from compensation in their terms of service. You need to check those out as well. And sure, uptimes guarantees are meaningless. They're simply a marketing tool. Instead, search for reviews of the hosting company. Um, look on their support forum and stuff like that. If there's loads of complaints about downtime, then think twice. However, in most cases, the services offered uh, you know, are fairly universal, and, and, and uptime is fairly good on most hosting companies. Instead of asking how often your site goes down, ask instead what happens when it does. And that brings us nicely on to our second point, which is support. Can I just make one comment about... Yeah, of course you can. Basically, (laughs) uptime, actual uptime guarantees, i.e. how little your site goes down, is probably... uh, There's probably a ratio in how much you're prepared to pay, i.e. the smallest amount of time downtime means you will pay uh, through the nose for that hosting, uh, whereas if, if you're paying rock bottom, then chances are it'll fall over a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in short, you get what you pay for. Yeah. So support. Support, I I would argue, is probably the most important factor when choosing a hosting company. Um, Whether it's a website going, whether it's your website going offline or a piece of functionality not running, it's inevitable you're going to have some kind of problem with your hosting. And you're going to need to quickly reach somebody to get help. But how can you tell if a company offers good hosting or not? Well, here's the following things to consider. Do they offer 24-7 um, 365 days a year support. When your website goes offline, the last thing you want is to, you know, get, I'm sorry, but we're not currently supporting, you know, office hours are between. You want, you know, to be able to get hold of um, somebody instantly. Second one, telephone support. There seems to be an increasing uh, trend towards email-only support. However, when you've got a technical problem, um, you know, they can be really hard to diagnose, especially via email, and you end up with these prolonged back-and-forth conversations that can be time-consuming. And when your site's online, you need the immediacy of a phone call, so ensure that option is available to you. Make sure you get a speedy response as well. So whether you're contacting your hosting company via email or by phone, you should expect a quick response. It's unacceptable to be sitting on hold while your site is down or waiting days for a response to an email um, inquiry. So The classic classic is when you're getting, uh, you are, caller number 75. Yes, and you want to kill yourself. (laughs) Three hours later, you finally get through. Also, I've got this, uh, my office phone is a bit dodge, right? The battery on it's a bit dodge. So if I'm sitting on hold for long, I get, you know, you're caller 75, you're caller 74, and it goes down, you're caller number one. Beep, the battery (laughs) dies on a flipping phone. It's just unbelievable. That's happened to me actually before. Okay, so, um, yeah, speedy response. So I recommend calling the support um, number. 
right, before you sign up for the service. How long did you have to wait before you got to speak to a real human being? Also, send a question in via email and see how long it takes to get a reply. Always very interesting. Um, In-country support, I think, is an important thing as well. I prefer to speak to local support staff. Now, I had trouble writing this in the book in the book in a diplomatic way, okay? But yeah. basically, I don't want to talk to somebody in India who's, who speaks English as their second language, especially when you're talking about complex technical problems, okay? Mm. Because the chances of misunderstanding are far higher, and that's no disrespect to the people working in India, and their English is often excellent, but it, it doesn't replace talking to somebody in your own country, I don't think. Does that make me xenophobic? I don't think so, Paul, but probably best move on. Okay. <laughs> no, I haven't, I, I, I haven't I, written it like that in the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's got, as you say, it's just to do with first and second language. That's all it's about. Yeah. I've got, I've got no problem talking to someone in an Irish accent, a Scottish accent, uh, um, a Newcastle accent. It's just about knowing that they're understanding what you're going on about. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, I noticed that your next point is knowledgeable staff. I mean, that's, that is as important. Mm. So, um, and that's a kind of related thing, really, that, you know, when you, you call these call centres in far-flung parts of the world, like Newcastle... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I've now just alienated everybody in Newcastle. Um, it's you know it can be frustrating uh, trying to resolve technical issues because the people manning these call centres have only got te- uh, limited technical knowledge. What happens is is they have these kind of tiers of of support, don't they? And you have to kind of it's get through the first tier, which is turn it off and on again, in, uh, before <laughs> you actually end up getting to somebody that knows what the hell they're talking about. Ideally, you want to speak directly to the individuals who manage the web server. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're not technical, ask your web developer to speak to the support staff and get an idea of whether the people you're talking to, are, uh, you know, are actually technical or not. They should be able to, you know, make a judgment on that. So get some help in order to work out how good the support staff really is. And, uh, but there's a kind of the other way round to that as well, which is, you know, sometimes if you're non-technical, if you're a website owner listening to this, you know, you can get in a situation where you ring up the, the, the hosting company and they go, oh, yes, well, that's because you haven't got your SSL certificate sorted out. Um, you know, and it can be equally frustrating when they're overly technical. You know, mm. being confronted with technobabble um, when you want to find out where your site's down is just extremely annoying. So, again, when you call your support line, try and get a sense of what their communication skills are like. There's no reason why someone can't have a good technical understanding but still be able to communicate in plain English. Look at me, how knowledgeable I am technically and how well I communicate. <sighs> Finally, self-service contact. So contacting technical support is a kind of last resort. Um, you know, in most cases, you want, you want to be able to find the answer to your question yourself, and you can do that through the hosting company's support site. Look at their site and see if they've got frequently asked questions, a knowledge base, a forum, but most importantly, a list of currently known issues. Facilities like this can save a lot of time and a lot of being on hold. Um, so there you go. So loads of um, self-service, uh, sorry, loads of support stuff there. Um, but self-service is a particularly interesting one, and that kind of brings us on to the control panel and managing your site. 
So um, calling technical support every time you want to change a password is going to become frustrating. That's why the majority of hosting companies these days have control panels where you can do basic maintenance. This allows you to manage emails, change passwords, upload files, backup, you know, access site stats, all that kind of good stuff. So evaluating the control panel um, is really important. And you need to probably do that if you're a website owner or your developer. Um, so you've got their kind of technical knowledge in it as well. If the hosting company um, does not have a demo available on their site, call them and ask for access to a kind of example. Nothing else, it will demonstrate how responsive their customer service is. Once you've asked, you've got access, ask yourself whether it provides the functionality you require. Is it easy to understand and to use? For example, um, how does it handle the management of multiple sites? As this is an area that's kind of particularly important um, and can cause problems in some control panels. Also, that interestingly and, and seamlessly leads on to our next point, which is about growth. As your site becomes more successful, you'll become more ambitious in your plans and your visitors will flock in even greater numbers to your site. So the question is, will your hosting company be able to keep up with the growth? In order to answer that question, um, you need to understand three things. Can you manage multiple websites centrally? So it's back to this, does the control panel support multiple websites? You may start off with a single site, but if it's successful, you could well want to launch additional sites, whether those be sub-sites that support a particular marketing campaign or a site dedicated to a subset of your audience. In either case, the site will need these sites will need to be managed. Um, you need you want to be able to avoid multiple logins and administer all those sites in one kind of neat in central place. So check with your hosting company that you have a single interface for managing multiple sites. Also, think about your upgrade path. As your site grows in terms of visitors and complexity, you may need to migrate from, say, shared hosting to dedicated hosting. You may even need to upgrade your dedicated box to something more powerful. And it's important that you understand what this process will be like and how it works. You want to avoid the need to back up your entire site locally and then re-upload it all over again to your new server. Big pain in the ass, trust me, I've done it. <clears throat> a good yes. hosting company should make this a seamless transition. You going to say something? No. Nope. <laughs> oh, you were just agreeing. Yes. Co coughing, actually, I think. Coughing. The final yeah. thing when it comes to growth that's worth noting is uh, what happens if you exceed your bandwidth. So obviously the more successful your website, the more expensive it's going to be in terms of bandwidth. Most hosting plans come with a, a bandwidth limit of some description. Um, this is because the hosting company has to pay for every piece of data a user downloads from your site. Um, so therefore, they cut, cap how much data um, you're allowed within your kind of plan. Normally, this is more than adequate for most sites. However, what happens if you exceed your bandwidth limit? How much extra is it going to cost you? And what happens if you exceed your limit unexpectedly without already buying a higher plan? Are you going to be, you know, stung for kind of an extra cost there and does your control panel give you a way of monitoring the current bandwidth use that you are using so that you can kind of plan for these things so it's not just about um, bandwidth that's not the only element that can become expensive um, there are also other hidden charges and that's the last point I want to raise on this kind of finding uh, or selecting a hosting company do they have his hidden charges some hosting companies may appear inexpensive on the surface, but have lots of hidden costs. Establish what is included in your monthly charge and what is not. So I've encountered hosting companies who have made additional charges for um, uh, more than a predefined number of email accounts, 
advanced email functionality such as exchange server or spam filters for a technician to go and physically restart your web server which needs to be done from time to time for add-on technologies the ability to run databases access to web stats whatever else so this could go on so there's nothing wrong with a hosting company using this form of modular uh, pricing after all it actually keeps the price down if all you require is some basic functionality the problem is when they don't clearly communicate what these additional charges are and therefore they come as a surprise so there's a little bit of advice on uh, running um, your, or oh, sorry, selecting your hosting environment, and hopefully that was useful. Um, if you want to know more and you want to discover more about hosting generally, then check out uh, boagworld.com forward slash website owners manual, where I cover that and a plethora of other issues. Okay, enough sell- selling. Let's move on to um, our listener content of the day. Boagworld.com Okay, so this week we have um, a listener contribution that is also a review. Um, and um, Marcus, have you listened to this yet? Have you checked it out? I'm afraid not. Sorry. Uh, who is it? Who's who's who? Who did the review? It's it's Teflon. Do you remember Teflon? <laughs> Teflon, yes. Te- yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm calling him Teflon now. You'll you'll discover why when you've listened to the review. And also, um, Jonathan. Um, who were our competition winners, if you remember. Uh, of course, a, yes, yes. A little Sorry. while ago for the, when, we did, when we did a deconstruct competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, you remember that the, they had to submit a, a little re- audio review and we picked the winner based on the audio review. And then they went off to deconstruct, which um, happened this week, just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to create a little kind of review of deconstruct and what they thought of it. So um, I will let you listen to it now. And for the next part of the podcast, it is sponsored by Ticklefish Design and Searchlight Digital. Hi, I'm Marcus Lennington. No, 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 no. I want to be Marcus Lennington. Marcus is the cool one. He doesn't get my name too wrong. No, no, you agreed that we would both be Marcus. That's a fair compromise. No one wants to be Paul. No, exactly. Anyway, right, on with the show. Um, so, Marcus, what did you what did you generally think of the conference? Yeah, I thought it was really good, actually. Um, yeah, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed the free coffee. Um, Which you didn't tell me about until right at the end, so I only got one cup. No, that's right. I, mean, I felt that was a bit unfair. I thought it was sort of obvious. It was free coffee. But with regards to the speakers, yeah, I enjoyed all of them. Um, you know, some of the, speak- the speakers were speaking about things I don't really, you know, I'm not involved with directly, but um, they all put their points across really well, and uh, I enjoyed all of them. I, can, I think I can take something away from each speaker. I mean, what did you think? I quite liked the fact that none of them talked for too long or too little. They were all quite uh, engrossing, and though, again, not directly related to what I do, uh, they were all very interesting, and I, did, I do think I've taken something away from it. Yeah, and there was there was humour in there as well. Oh, there was. Matt and Matt were hilarious. Yeah, Matt and Matt get the award for uh, comic. Well, um, with that subject, what was your favourite talk, do you reckon? Uh, my favourite talk was uh, Tantec, I think, on microformats. Do you want to summarise roughly what he talked about? Um, except, well, except microformats, that's a bit too basic. Yeah, it except is. It is, <laughs> it is really, but it was just sort of, uh, you know, the, the concept of how microformats uh, I don't really know what I'm saying again brilliant uh, <laughs> just keep going it's what Paul does <laughs> yeah I don't really know what I'm talking about but um, yeah just how the fact that you know you shouldn't have to keep re-inputting data into all these different sites all these different social networks that we go on um, they should all you know you should you have one sort of central hub where 
which is your sort of central place where you put all your details in and all these other sites that you choose to join up to and you know put information on that should all just sort of link up to it you know um but again it's uh, microformats again is a new uh, subject to me i've only you know done a basic v card and that's about it but um it's definitely something i'm going to read into i definitely agree with that summary although a little uh Oh, nah, not, not long-winded at all. I mean, <laughs> remember, the people who are listening to this are used to listening to Paul. That is true. That's good. Well, um, I'd say that my favourite talk was Jeremy Keith on the system of the world, it's titled, but I would have titled it something more along the lines of why uh, the, cr- the cloud can be smart and why it can be stupid, why you think you can predict it and why you really can't. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a very intellectual talk, and I'm pretty sure that most of it went over my head. Um, possibly into the head of whoever's sitting behind me, and that it's, he's basically said that you can't predict what will be the next big thing, like Facebook or Twitter, but you can uh, create good foundations or nurture something so that it's more likely to be the next big thing. Yeah, it's a good summary there as well. I mean, basically, I, I thought it was just about a black swan. That, that is true, actually. He did. It's just all about the black swan. You can't predict it. It's got a big effect. And afterwards, you're going to go back and try and say, hey, we knew this was coming. We knew this black swan was going to be born. Yeah, yeah that's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. What do you think the best moment of the uh, conference was to you? Oh, I mean, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of moments. But the best moment has got to be tef- Teflon, as uh, Marcus calls you. Um, the best moment was definitely when you went up to Ryan Carson to thank him for the free complimentary tickets to deconstruct. I'd like to point out that <laughs> yesterday, as in the day before the conference, I had a five-hour train journey from South Wales to Brighton. Nice I then got, I, I went to bed really late, and I got up really early. Still no excuse. I was really tired and confused. Do you call yourself a student? No, I'm a graduate. Okay, there's a slight difference. But, I mean, luckily for Teflon, I pulled him back at the last moment uh, to save his blushes and told him that it wasn't Carsonified that supplied the tickets, it was actually uh, Clear Left. I knew it was uh, Clear Left that supplied the tickets, I just got confused. Uh, the tall guy in the hat. Yes. Okay. Tall guys in hats are very confusing. What about you? Um, what's your favourite moment? Well, I, I think it might actually be when we went up to thank Jeremy um, for putting the whole event on and possibly for the free tickets, though. It wasn't actually Jeremy that we need to thank, apparently. No. Um, I like the way that you were sort of not sure quite how to do it and you're going to go oh I'll go for the wussy catch his eye approach I just sort of walked up and said hi thanks for the tickets yeah I mean, have a business card <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't actually give him a business card no but that is a funny point because uh, uh, Tef did uh, hand out quite a few business cards which is good I mean networking is really good apart from the guy uh, uh, sorry the, the lady that you tried to impose your uh, business card on I don't, and she, th- I don't think she heard me no I think she just blanked you it's possible. It's yeah. happened before. I tell you what, you remember why we went to see Jeremy, don't you? Yes. Yes. It's because, sadly, Marcus, your jokes are not quite up to the calibre that we would quite like them to I mean, granted, they're not dire. I mean, if Paul was in charge of it, they would be dire or worse. Yeah. But um, I, I think Marcus's jokes could do some improvements. Yeah. So we went up to Jeremy to ask um, him for a joke. Do you want to tell the joke? Yeah, I would love to tell the joke, apart from I can't actually remember it. And, oh, dear! Uh, <laughs> as soon as you already knew it and knew the punchline, you can tell it. Okay. Why did the chicken cross the Mobius strip? I don't know. Why did the chicken cross the Mobius strip? To get to the same side. Hmm. If you don't know what a Mobius strip is, Google it. 
Yes, unfortunately, I don't. That's a shame. Well, no, I suppose you know we're we're hitting the six-minute mark, which. If we were Paul, we'd go, well, let's start on the news, or maybe waffle on a bit more, but we're actually going to have to conclude this, partly because it's not our own podcast. Um, so I figured what we could do is we could um, we could end it with a question. What do you think of that idea? Good idea. Good idea. Um, well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. And I'm going to pause it for 30 seconds, and you're going to come up with a question, and then you're going to ask it. Brilliant. Okay. Okay, my right. The question oh, is... Was that the pause? That was the pause. <laughs> a good long 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, I thought you were just going to do a pretend pause and then I go into it as if you'd edited it. No, no, that would be something that Paul would do. Okay. Uh, Paul's my, not cool. My question to both of you, Paul and Marcus, is would you advise uh, up-and-coming web designers or developers to email and get in contact with local web agencies with regards to uh, maybe getting some kind of work experience with them, even even if it's only for like a day or two. So that's my question. Fair enough. I suppose I could add um, a, a sort of an additional question. It is, um, <clears throat> if you put so much effort into your work, Paul, and you, you presumably put a lot of effort into your family life, I know you put a lot of effort into youth work, why is it so hard for you to put just a little, tiny bit of effort into learning how to pronounce a name that so many people I know can quite easily pronounce? Yes. It's Tyvian. It's really not that hard. Teflon. See, if you knew me for longer, you'd be able to pronounce it. Mm. Maybe Paul's just not cool enough. Maybe we should just call him Ty from now. That, that could work. Anyway, that's it. Oh, I've got one more point. Oh, Stanton. 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 Yes. yes. Where is Stanton. Well, Stanton, we agreed, or I think uh, Ty agreed, that well, Stanton, Stanton... Yeah, we met him. And Stanton, he said he wanted to help. Yeah, he wanted to come in and say a few words at the end of the little podcast. Um, but we don't know where he is. He was last seen... Chatting, chatting at randoms. Yeah, that's, that sums it up. Oh, I, I could guess at what he would say. I could be completely wrong, though. I think we should end it on that note. Yeah, OK. Bye. Bye. So now you can see why I call him Teflon. <laughs> man of taste. He's a man of taste. He's not a man of taste. How dare he be so rude about me? <laughs> Interesting, mind what they've come back and said about deconstruct. I have to say, you know, they kept both of them kept saying throughout the review, uh, you know, this this talk went over my head or that went over my head. They really enjoyed it, and it, but but a lot of the content was quite kind of academic i don't know whether that's the right word intellectual let's put it like that and i have to say i've kind of felt like that certainly last year at deconstruct that it's become very theoretical and less um you know hands-on and practical and that's really that's kind of great in some ways because otherwise all these conferences end up being the same um but I think it's probably altered a little bit who I recommend Deconstruct to. Um, I think it's, you know, if you're kind of, I don't know, high-end professional where you go to some of these other conferences and you think, yeah, yeah, I've heard all of this before, then I think Deconstruct is the one for you to go to. But I think for a lot of people, they're not going to get their real value out of Deconstruct. Um, you know, I think they're better off with, say, some of the future of web um, conferences or even something like the Highland Fling, you know, where, where what they talk about is a lot more hands-on. I think it's probably representative of the clear left lot that are just damn clever. And so they pick damn clever people to talk. <laughs> which is probably why I feel very out of place there now. <laughs> yes, you're probably right, yes. Not for the average bag world listener. Oops, what did I just say? You just, you just implied <laughs> our listeners are, are thick. 
<laughs> well, you know, because they, they, they kind of model themselves on you, Paul. I'm just digging a hole here, aren't I? You are just digging a hole. There is no <laughs> way out of that. What you should have said is, no, it's not that they're thick, Paul. It's, like th- it's that they're hands-on and practical people that like to get on with the nitty-gritty of web design work and not get caught up in theoretical conversations about irrelevant crap. Doers, and, that's what they are. They're all yeah, doers. Exactly. And then yeah. all you've done is offend the clear left people, and that's fine. <laughs> sorry guys so there you go a great review other than all the rudeness to me um so that about wraps up today's show except unfortunately marcus's joke which we seem to never manage to escape yeah no you're not going to it's a very short one this week though and i i can't remember the name i think it was morgan apologies if it wasn't morgan but thanks for this it made me titter um what's the difference between a used car salesman and a software salesman the used car salesman knows when he's lying Sorry, is that it? Silence. Have you, you finished the joke? That might, no, it, yes. Well, I don't, don't don't understand. Well, you know, salesmen who sell software and stuff, like, you know, it's kind of dig at me, you know, people like me who sell, sell stuff that they know nothing about, so they don't know when they're lying. Oh! Right? Oh, yeah, now that's funny. I didn't Ugh. get it. Dear, oh dear. Yes, I see what you mean. The majority of people that sell kind of technical solutions don't under, actually understand them. Yes. So they don't know when they're lying. Yes. Like the used I, car salesman does. I'm, I'm really sorry. That loses it a bit when you have to explain it word by word. Yeah, it does, really. Sorry about that. Do you want to play the guitar? <laughs> no, I can't be bothered. You've oh, upset see? me now. When, when, when we're set up in our spangly new office, you can keep a guitar there so you can always play it. You could play the intro music live every week. Uh, uh, I could (laughs) (laughs) but you're not gonna I probably won't there you go okay well um, that wraps up show 134 oh I haven't you know what I haven't said is you can get the show notes at boagworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash 134 this week's show is imaginatively titled Chrome thank you Ryan for your very witty and clever titles for each week's show there's one other thing that you've forgotten to mention as well. What's that? Uh, something to do with panel picker. Oh, for, I'm not <laughs> mentioning panel picker again. They, if, if the time has passed. We're doomed. doomed. We are, we're going to just have to accept that we're not going to be on a panel. It'll be fine. I'll manage. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for listening to the show. We look forward to next week's show, which will not be via Skype. Goodbye. Bye. Hello, world of Boag. It's like being on David Letterman. Boag world, Boag world. Stanton of coffeepower.co.uk and the show
show's producer is Ryan Taylor of harrokinspired.co.uk. To contribute to the show, visit boagworld.com forward slash contact. Call 020 8133 5122 or join our forum 